Now, for the first time in a while, we had people actually saying we were not going to have a Cavs-Warriors NBA Finals. When the playoffs started, there was talk about the Rockets, maybe the Sixers, and the Cavs didn't look good in the first round. But now we've reached the conference finals, and even though there's four teams left, I'm pretty confident in saying we're going to have a Cavs and Warriors NBA Finals. It's the dime. You are now listening to The Dime with Josh Rodriguez, your weekly go-to podcast for all things NBA. Subscribe on iTunes or listen every week on thedimepodcast.com. And now, your host, Josh Rodriguez. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Dime. The stage is set for the conference finals, and we have four teams left. Rockets, Warriors, Cavs, Celtics, LeBron, Steph, Durant, Harden, CP3, and I guess Brad Stevens for the Celtics. You can follow The Dime on Twitter at The Dime NBA. Give the show five stars on iTunes, and please leave a comment or review saying how much you love this podcast. Call to The Dime Hotline and leave a question or comment to be aired on the show at 805-826-3463. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and before we get started, I have a guest with me. He's the creator of Hoop Geeks and a freelance basketball writer and blogger who has his work on fan sided. Please welcome to the dime, Darnell Gillette. What's up, man? How's it going? It's going very well, man. Excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad you're here, man. Uh, Darnell and I apparently went to high school together. <laughs> yeah. I just got recently reacquainted through a mutual friend of ours, Mark Gonzalez. Mark, if you're listening, shout out to you. You're a good man. And uh, this is going to go well. I can really can tell already that, I, that you know your stuff. I read a couple of your things. I Just by reading your tweets, you know what you're talking about. You ever like read someone's tweets? You're like, okay, this guy gets it. That's what I got with you. No, I appreciate it, man. <laughs> you, know, you know, I've been in love with uh, the NBA ever since 1992. Uh, the first time I ever watched a, a basketball game was uh, Michael Jordan versus Clyde Drexler. And ever since then, I've been close. Oh, man. So, so that's kind of where I'm coming from is really, you know, I love the history of the game and the analytical side of it. So I'm, I'm excited to be be here talking about these uh, conference finals did that make you a bulls fan yes it did uh it did oh and, and, darnell damn it man and, you know, <laughs> I've, been, I've been uh so so quick story um in 1992 my, my late grandfather at the time we used to watch the bulls versus blazers okay. and in 92 uh, i was arguing with him he was saying oh clyde drexler is better than michael jordan so it's like you know the more things change wow. the more they stay the same ever since Clyde Drexler to Grant Hill to Kobe Bryant to LeBron, you know, to, you know, it's a conversation that never dies. And yet uh, yeah. somehow it always comes back to MJ. But, you know, that's a different topic. And you can follow Darnell on Twitter at Hoop Geeks, which is a blog that you write for, right? That's a website you created? Yeah, it is. Um, it is. Uh, I, have, I haven't written on there in a while, though, but um, definitely follow me. I'm always tweeting. I'm always uh, commenting. I'm having a lot of conversations on there. So, uh, it's uh, I'm probably on there a little bit too much, actually. All right, so let's get into it, man. Cavs, Celtics. I had the Sixers beating the Celtics. I was on the Sixers hype train as well as probably 95% of America. Where were you with the Sixers and Celtics? And how good are the Celtics? I mean, they took care of the Sixers in five games. That's pretty crazy. That's not what I expected. If you would have told me the Celtics were going to win the series, I was going to be like, okay, hard-fought, seven-game series, maybe the Sixers choked away a game or two. But the Celtics completely dominated them in crunch time at least. I absolutely agree. I think um, most people were kind of waiting to see what uh, Ben Simmons was going to do. Uh, you know, he, he was well ahead of his time. 
uh, and that's what he looked like against the Heat. So I think um, with a healthy Embiid, uh, some great buyout acquisitions in uh, Bellinelli and Ilyasova, and then uh, Redick, uh, you know, it just seemed like the perfectly uh, orchestrated uh, team that was going to go into uh, Cleveland uh, in the conference finals, and then we were going to figure out that conversation. But uh, the Celtics, I think, surprised a lot of people. Um, and... It, it honestly it, it confused me because I bucketed the Celtics into one specific type of team when they lost Kyrie and Hayward, and then now I'm looking at them and I'm looking at the the different components and what they did to the Sixers, and it's forcing me to reassess everything I actually believed about the Celtics. So I'm kind of conf- I'm kind of confused right now to be honest. I don't know what they are. I don't know what they are either, and it's kind of interesting because. You know, they say you need superstars to win in this league, and Jason Tatum's a rookie, but he's playing like one. Jalen Brown has had his moments, and it's hard to put a gauge on how good they are. Al Horford, I mean, he's been one of the most underappreciated players in the league, at least to me. You know, he doesn't really do anything that stands out. He's not going to, like, dunk on you or do any crazy shit, but at the same time, he is going to make the right play at the right time. He's going to hit the jump shot when you need it. He's going to play great defense when you need it, and it's almost like – the sum of their parts is so great. I don't think I've ever seen a team like this, aside from the Pistons that won it all, where you look at each player and be like, yeah, he's good, but he's not that great. And that Pistons team won the championship. So now I'm sitting here like, they're going against the Cavs who, you know, hit or, they're hit or miss. The team we saw against the Pacers is not the team we saw against the Raptors. I know the Raptors had a lot of their problems and a lot of people can just throw everything on the Raptors saying, oh, well, that's, you know, they were a fake team. They weren't that good to begin with. But a lot of the reason why the Raptors got swept was because the Cavaliers ended up showing up. J.R. Smith showed up. Kyle Korver showed up. Kevin Love finally showed up. It, it's going to be interesting to me to see which Cavs team shows up because I think that's going to determine what the series is. I, I think the Celtics can win, but it depends on what Cavs team shows up. What do you think about that? Yeah, so so I think it really depends on. It's not really so much about which Cavs team is going to show up only, right? It's it's a lot of the Cavs team that showed up against the Raptors had to do with the Raptors team that showed up against the Cavs, right? So when you look at the the Pacers series, they were extremely disciplined with what they wanted to do. They were saying, LeBron, I'm going to put Bogdanovich on you. I'm going to put Lance Stevenson on you. Everybody's going to have some eyes on you, but we're not going to commit to double team you, right? So they're saying, hey, if I try to take LeBron away he's still going to drop 35 no matter what I do, right? Like he's going to drop 35. He's just that good. So instead I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to let you score 45, but everybody else is going to be completely out of the picture. And they were disciplined to that, right? Um, Whereas the Raptors, when you started watching what they were doing, they employed a lot of these different strategies. Like in game one, at one point, um, they tried to do what the Cavaliers do to everybody else. So what they tried to do is they tried to double team LeBron, blitz him. Yeah. And when they blitz him, it's like, what do you think is going to happen? He's six foot eight. He can see all that. <laughs> and then, yeah, what he's going to do is he's going to make the pass on time every single time. And then they're going to swing it over. And then you see Kyle Korver getting a bunch of open shots. So right. the Raptors, the frustrating thing about them was the, the Pacers had a really good model. And it feels like the, the Raptors didn't even watch the film of what the Pacers at least tried to do. So, um that's why I'm really interested in seeing this series because I don't know, I really don't know who the Cavs are and I really have no clue who the Celtics are. But I do know one thing is that Brad Stevens is going to watch what the Pacers did and he's going to take some some uh, notes from that. And, and, you know, I think we're going to have a really good chess match between these two teams. 
I mean, if it's a, if it becomes a chess match, match, I got my money on Brad Stevens. I am not a fan of Ty Lue at all. I think he's one of the worst coaches in the league, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's interesting. You you don't think so? You think you like you like uh, Ty Lue as a coach? I feel like his substitution patterns are crazy at times, head scratching. Um, I don't think he has any imagination on offense whatsoever. What do you think about that? Because I. I usually don't get pushback with that. So I'm, I'm interested to talk to someone who would give you pushback. Well, on I'm that. not going to give you pushback on it specifically, but I'm going to say I don't really know what type of coach he was because when Eric Spolstra um, was coaching LeBron, everybody said that he was terrible. And to be honest, he's probably one of the top five coaches in the NBA right now. Um, that is true. Right? Good point. So, so I think that that's the big thing. When you when you coach LeBron, well, you you made two different points, right? The offensive sets with LeBron have have always been basic, right? Because LeBron is so great and he's extremely ball dominant. But if everybody, whether it's Chris Bosh or Kevin Love or whoever, if you just focus on, hey, playing defense, getting rebounds and, and hitting open shots, LeBron's going to get you involved. He makes your life easy. So the offense around LeBron is typically very basic. And we saw that in Miami where it was, hey, uh, Dwayne Wade, it's your turn. LeBron, it's my turn. Chris Bosh, you never get a turn. And that's pretty much what we saw. But it worked and they won two championships. So you can't really knock it. But a lot of people were knocking Spolstra. And now we're seeing the Miami Heat who have an extremely creative offense. So in terms of the offensive sets, I really don't, I really can't make a determination on that. I do think his substitutions were absolutely terrible. I never understood why he benched Tristan Thompson. I didn't think it made any sense because in in the playoffs, in my opinion, in order to win, you need to do something great, right? So you start looking at the Cavs and what they tried to do was like, oh, let's go this small ball lineup to match up with the the Warriors or whatever they did. And then it's like, well, you're not going to be great at small ball, but what you can be great at is just dominating the boards, second chance points. So the entire Pacers series, he had Tristan Thompson benched, which I never understood. And then once he came in, it was like, oh, surprise, he was doing exactly what he was doing in the previous which is disrupting <laughs> everything. So I agree with one right. of the points. On the other point, I'm going to say I don't know. Well, the thing is with that is LeBron's not the only player on your team, right? You have Kevin Love, who actually did get going in the second series. And I guess Ty Lue has some credit uh, thrown his way for that. But, you know, run sets for Love. You don't have to, you know, put the ball in LeBron's hands every single time. Yes, he's the greatest player in the world. But get Love in the post. Have him come off some screens. Like, have him get going. You know, I don't see any imagination when it comes to getting other players going. It's usually just clear out for LeBron and let LeBron drive and kick or something like that. So I think that he he's responsible for not having love going, and he's responsible for maybe Jr.'s cold shooting, even though that's kind of ridiculous because Jr. is sporadic to begin with. But you can run sets for these players instead of just relying on LeBron to get them going. I, I agree in theory, but I, I can't. Once again, I, I've I've watched this. I've watched this happen. This happened with Mike Brown. It happened with Eric Spolstra. Right. It happened with David Blatt, and now it's happened with Ty Lue. So. In my estimation, it's I'm not disagreeing with you, but I don't necessarily know if there's been and we've seen LeBron in in huddles in Miami, in Cleveland, right? Um, basically being the coach in the huddle, right? He's a very powerful being, and once again, he's he's one of the few players in NBA history that okay. I don't have a problem with it because you're that damn good, right? You're gonna win. Yeah, yeah, you're sure. gonna win. That style is gonna win, but when you know, I, I think that, you know, one of the reasons why Kyrie, I think, also left is because when you are next to LeBron, whether it's the GM, you know, 
uh, or the coach or the players around him, ultimately the rap about you is is going to become like, hey, LeBron is not playing with a good coach. He's not playing with a good supporting cast. And, you know, his GM, even Pat Riley, they came to a point where people, there was a narrative saying, hey, Pat Riley isn't doing, uh, you know, what's needed to get LeBron the help that he needs. Like he didn't sign, re-sign Mike Miller. So so this happens, and I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying that with, with, um, with Ty Lue, I don't think he's a good coach. I don't like his rotations at all. That's 100% in his control. Um, but in terms of like what type of offensive sets he would run, it's it's hard for me to make that determination until I see him in another situation. Because now Spolstra, I hated him a few years ago, and now he's actually one of my favorite coaches in the NBA. So, so I'm not disagreeing with you. Um, I'm just saying that it's hard to judge any coach when he coaches LeBron if you look at it historically. All right, that's fair. Uh, let's talk about the other coach, Brad Stevens. Now, Obviously, if they're going to be the Cavaliers, LeBron James, there has to be some strategy implemented. What do you think the paths to victory for the Celtics are this series? Do you think it's just copy what the Pacers did and let you know let LeBron go crazy and shut everyone else down, or how how do they use their roster to defeat the Cavaliers four times out of seven? I've been I've been going back and forth with this, so I think there's a lot of things. First off, I think the mindset of Brad Stevens. If you're if you're Brad Stevens, right? Um, there's there's this anime called One Punch Man, and, uh, it, it, and, <laughs> and One Punch Man. He's basically so powerful to the point he's a hero. He's so powerful that it's boring to him, right? To to go up against people and, and enemies because he knows he's gonna win, right? He knows it. It's all it takes is one punch, right? So anytime there's an opponent that he thinks, just even thinks, can challenge him, he gets really excited and then he ends up getting let down. I feel that (laughs) as far as coaches go, Brad Stevens, like he has to be excited to go up against LeBron because I think he knows that this is the only person that I don't have a strategic answer for. I think I have the talent to beat him. I just don't think I have the, you know, I'm going to see if I have the strategic answer for him. So I think Brad Stevens really is excited to play against a LeBron, even though, you know, that's just completely subjective in my opinion about, you know, the genius of Brad Stevens, I think. Um, So that's one, but the keys to success, I was looking, I think it's a hybrid thing. So some of the things that the Pacers did very well and something that people don't really talk about is how, how having a good offense and an efficient offense and a smart offense, how does that help your defense? Right. Um, Right. People yeah. never really talk about these things going hand in hand. So if you're if you have DeMar DeRozan missing a bunch of shots, turning the ball over, not attacking the rim, whatever, that's going to trickle over to the defensive side of the ball. So so that's the first thing. So when I look at the Pacers, right, so I think some of the things that they did very well, uh, and it was one, they were extremely disciplined with what they wanted to do against LeBron. Two, they they never lost their composure when things got out of hand. Like you could see they always at least had their heart still with them. And then they had a lot of guys who don't make mistakes on their team on the, uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Darren Collison has never really been a big mistakes guy for his entire career. Underrated because of where he played and he's been a backup. Corey Joseph has never really made mistakes. He learned that from the San Antonio Spurs. Boyan Bogdanovich internationally was an amazing player. I used to write for the for the Nets on fan-sided, so I was watching him. The Nets right. doesn't really make a lot of mistakes. And then Oladipo playing really well. So you have a lot of guys. Really, their nine-man rotation, every single person except for the wild card of Lance, is like a low-mistake type of person. In addition to that, some that they have was like a Miles Turner who, oh, Sabonis also, same thing, very low mistake, even though he's young. Um, 
Miles Turner is also like a rim protector. So I think that you have like a lot of different things and length that was able to, you were able to leverage against LeBron defensively. I think the Celtics, because they don't really have that rim protector like Miles Turner, are going to have to employ a part of the strategy that the Pacers had, but they have some things that the Pacers didn't have, which is they're just much more athletic and they're just much more gritty. So I think that they're going to, I think that they should still defensively use the, use whether it's, you know, Marcus Smart or whether it's Marcus Morris, Markeith Morris, I always forget which one's on the South, uh, on South, um, Marcus, <laughs> Marcus. Marcus Morris, um, or, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, just let let him be on an island. But I think that they have the don't really commit to double teaming unless LeBron's in the post, which I'll get into that in a second. Don't commit to double teaming, but just have everybody have eyes and just if LeBron gets forty, then let him get forty. But just don't be that person that is like, oh my gosh, how is Corbin over open again? So I think that they have the athleticism to help like half man and then recover in a way that not many other teams do. So that's the first thing. Right. The other thing is that when LeBron was in the post, something that the Pacers did that was really interesting that I didn't really see other teams do was typically when LeBron gets into the post, you'll have somebody at the three point line and, and somebody at the uh, corner three point line, right? So at the arc and at the corner and what they would have, is they would have somebody drop down and double LeBron and then LeBron, you know, passes out to the three point line and then somebody, they, they swing it over and then somebody has a wide open shot. The Pacers started doing something that other people don't really do is when LeBron was in the post, if like a Tristan was in the game, they were doubling with like a Sabonis. So that way LeBron would have to make like a really, really hard pass, like around the big man to get the ball to Thompson. And worst case scenario, it was going to be a mistimed pass a hard pass. Yeah. So so those are some of the things that I think that defensively the the Pacers are going to I think that they should really commit to saying LeBron, I know you don't want to go out there and be selfish. We're going to force you to be selfish. So the same yeah, so basically score 45 on us and we'll take our chances. Because I do think the Celtics have an efficient enough yeah. offense you know, to score, I think defensively is going to be the problem. You know, if the Cavs are hitting the threes, if the role players are hitting the threes, then I think the Celtics are in trouble because the Celtics offense, they do go through these weird cold spells. Like they'll look great and they're moving the ball, but there's times in the game where it's like, damn, they haven't scored in like five or six minutes. And it seems to happen almost every game, but I do think they still are efficient enough to put up enough points, especially if they're playing well defensively. I mean, you saw that Pacer series, the Cavs, I mean, they didn't break a hundred until, did they even break a hundred that series? I don't know if they did. I'm not sure, but I know that yeah. the, the point differential was insane, you know, that, that the, yeah. the Pacers beat them in total points and then lost the series. So that's, that yeah. kind of shows you that, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know. The, for me, the keys to victory is, is pretty much what you said also. I mean, I think you have to do what the Pacers did in the sense where not let LeBron go crazy, but you're right. Like, he's going to get 30-35 no matter what. You just can't have Corver go off. You can't. You cannot have Love go off. If Love has a good series, I think this series ends pretty quickly, five or six games. I don't think the Celtics really match up too well with, with the Cavs in a sense where it's like you don't really have anyone to put on LeBron James, and no one does at the same time, but I can't figure out anybody who would kind of frustrate him. Like last year they had Jay Crowder, right? Who's your Drake, Jay Crowder? I don't think it's Marcus Smart. You might disagree with me on that, but I don't think you could have anyone who's really going to bother LeBron James, like a Lance Stevenson, even though Lance really can't guard LeBron. You can argue that Lance can get in the head of LeBron James. You know what I mean? And I don't know who can do that for the Celtics. I don't I don't think that he's going to cause 
they have anyone to cause him I don't want to use the word anxiety. Anxiety is a strong word, but you get what I'm saying, right? I agree. Like, kind of fluster him a little bit, even make yeah. him less focused. But um, yeah, but I could be like smooth sailing. I feel like I, I, I agree. I think I, I think all of your points I completely agree with. And but but I do think that this is where um, the Morris pickup is a lot more valuable than people think. Not that Morris can bother him or whatever, but I think that defensively, honestly, Morris is probably smarter, better more under control than Lance Stevenson. Lance, Lance Stevenson is just more flamboyant. <laughs> but um, I, right, think, I right. think Morris, right? Because when you think about what the Celtics had last year, and this is where I don't know yet, right? They, this team, even as is, in my opinion, is better than they were last year in the playoffs. Okay. Because I think Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, in my opinion, are both better than Avery Bradley. While Avery Bradley was very productive Jalen Brown is a better player, I think, on both sides of the ball. And you so that's just my opinion. Um, I think Brad Stevens did a lot for Avery Bradley in the playoffs. As good as Isaiah Thomas is as a scorer, he's not that hard for people to defend because, you know, he, he not necessarily a ball stopper, but you kind of know what he's gonna do when he's in the game. And you would see him struggle a lot where it's like, hey, we'll let Isaiah Thomas try to beat us, right? And Jay Crowder yeah. for a while, I mean, I think Morris is a much better player than Jay Crowder, and they didn't have a really a power forward last year like that. They didn't have a Jason Tatum last year. Jalen Brown is better, you know. So I think that they're better in a lot of areas. Defensively, I do think that they're gonna. I think that if you use the model of hey, if you're at the top of the key, we're gonna do what Bogdanovich did. We're gonna let him guard you one on one. We'll have four eyes, well, four set of eyes on you. We're not gonna commit to double teaming you. If you get to the rack, then okay, but you're going to beat us with twos. You're going to give us twos to the to, till we die, and the only time we'll W is when you get into the post, and we're only going to W with like Al Horford coming off of Love uh, if he's in the post, right. off of Tristan Thompson. So I don't think they need that one person because they can help and recover quick enough, and the key is not just to stop LeBron, but really to disrupt those passing lanes right, with, with your quick hands and that recovery. So, so I think they're kind of equipped to do it, but it's hard to imagine a team that young being able to be that disciplined for four out of seven games against LeBron on defense. All right. Now I've got to ask you a question that's kind of been going around Twitter. And I'm not sure if the debate show has kind of picked it up, but I've seen this on Twitter being debated. Is it an indictment on Kyrie that his former team is in the conference finals and his current team is in the conference finals without him? Not at all. Not at all. Because, um, because I think that, I think that for one, nobody, nobody that I know really took the Raptors seriously, right? People, That's um, true. The sweep, uh, people say a, a lot of a lot of the media did though. There was people in the media who, who were picking the Raptors to win this if series. If you ask any of those people, right? Be honest with me. If you ask any of those people, listen, I'll give you an opportunity to put a million dollars down right now on who you think is going to win this series: Cavs or Raptors. Or yeah. you can opt out. People wouldn't even. People would not <laughs> opt out. They would opt in and say, "I'm picking the Cavs." The the media. <laughs> tell me one person that you know that if you gave them the opportunity to put a million dollars that they don't have, is that you can opt out. People wouldn't even say, "Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. No. I'm gonna opt out." People would say, "Please give me that million dollars and I'll take it in one hundreds." That's what they would say. No, listen, I agree with you, man. 
But I mean, just I, listen, I don't know how seriously you take these debate shows, but someone like Max Kellerman on first take, even after game two, when the Raptors lost the first two games on their home court, he was like, I'm still picking. The, there's still a path to victory. And I, I get it's entertainment and it's just for television. I do get you, though. It's like if you were to pull Max to the side, like Max off camera, for real, man. <laughs> Who are you taking? I, I, <laughs> you probably you can still convince yourself of this lie that you've been telling yourself for the purpose of creating debate and yeah. conversation <laughs> and all this stuff, right? But if you said, listen, Max, $1 million right now, you can opt out or I'll give you a loan for $1 million. You can bet it or you can opt out. He wouldn't opt out. He wouldn't even opt out. He would be so confident that the Cavs would win that series and he would take that million dollar bet right now. Oh, I absolutely. I, I agree. I don't bet. I do not bet. I would take that. I would have taken that million dollars. Nobody. Listen, when you, the regular season and postseason are different. This is not really what we were talking about, but the regular season and postseason are different, right? In my opinion, I think that the Raptors had a false sense of security. At, at trade deadline, I was saying, hey, you guys need to go out and you need to get a probably two players, kind of what um, the 76ers did at the the buyout with Bellinelli and Ilyasova. Silva. I'm yeah. like, if you can go out and get like a Lou Williams and like a Tyreek Evans, I think that will help you a lot because at the end of the day, come playoffs, when you have, because most teams have like an eight, nine man rotation in playoffs, when four of the guys that you are going to be relying on in the playoffs are Siakam, OG Ananobi, who's going to be good, but he's still very young and had a lot of work to do, DeLon Wright, and Van yeah. Vliet, I'm sorry, you're not beating the Cavs. Yeah, I think they got fooled too because the bench played so well during the season and there was so much hype around the bench. It was like that was the narrative of what made the Raptors different this year. It was like, oh, their bench. Their bench is the best in the league. They got Van Vliet. They got this. They got that. And also Dwayne Casey making a conscious effort to get the Raptors to shoot the three ball this year. That was something else too. Oh, they switched up their style. They're a different team. And I think they brought into that narrative, hey, we're not the same Raptors. You know, we're shooting the three ball more. We're more conscious of that. And look, our bench is good. You know, we can go up against any second unit. So I I, I don't know if they believe the hype. But I think they believe the narrative more than the hype, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's what I call the false sense of security. And we see yeah. it all the time. Even what bothered me for years, because, you know, I'm, I'm one of those LeBron haters okay. that can sit here and tell you he's Mount Rushmore and he's flat out phenomenal. Right. <laughs> like, you can be objective about it. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be straight up. He's he's a straight up monster, beast, one of the best that's ever done it, period. Right. But one thing that used to bother me is like, why was it always in past years, like it's the Cavs that were going out at the trade deadline and getting Kyle Korver, getting Channing Frye, getting buyouts with Bogut and Deron Williams and everybody else in the East is just like, oh, we're good. <laughs> I'm like, what are you guys doing here? They're getting better. And you guys, so, so when I looked at, for example, when I looked at the Washington Wizards, I'm like, you guys need help. You're not going to go in with... With Kelly Oubre as your your only legit Kelly Oubre, Mike Scott, and the only time that those bench players can really thrive is if you have somebody of like LeBron's level, Kevin right. Durant's level, and then it's okay to have like some shortcomings because they make up for it. But so so I think they had a false sense of security about that, and um, I think that uh, you know with that said, there there are a lot of uh, opportunities for them. Uh, to to get uh, to get better, so I think that they fell for, for that narrative, and it came back to burn them. Yeah, I, I think so too. And uh, to go back to the Kyrie point, you know, it's oh, interesting. <laughs> no, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's it's not that. Like I, I love that. Don't worry. <laughs> um, it's interesting because. I th- I th- a lot of people are getting on Kyrie because, oh, your former team is in the Eastern Conference Finals. And it's like, damn, but if they had Kyrie, like we wouldn't even be discussing 
you know, this Eastern Conference Finals and whether or not the Celtics can knock off the Cavs. It, it, to me, it would be hands down Cavs in four or five. You know what I mean? The Cavs would have been more dominant during the season. You know, it's no secret that the Cavaliers have struggled without Kyrie Irving. You know, you got to put this stuff into context. I think a lot of people just see, oh, both teams are in Eastern Conference Finals. What does Kyrie really do? It's like, no, you got to look at look at the context of the situation. You That's know, the word. Yeah. context is the word. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. Now, you can talk about the Celtics being better without him. A, they're not better without him. You know, the emergence of Jason Tatum. No one – you could have predicted Jason Tatum having a nice rookie campaign, but he's literally turned into – I don't want to like quantify it, but he's one of the best players in the league right now. I don't even know if you could debate that. He's one of the best players in the league, to me at least. Especially you know, he's a team player because he exactly. knows within the system while still having this amazing individual arsenal. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie, that shocked the hell out of me because I watched him play in Duke and he took a lot of me shots in Duke. You know what a me shot is, right? Basically, it's like, oh, this is about me, this possession. I haven't shot the ball in a while. I got to get a shot up. And I was kind of worried he was going to be more like a Carmelo Anthony where it was kind of like not so much isolation heavy, but to me, Melo takes a lot of me shots. And I thought he was going to kind of disrupt an offense. You know, And Brad Stevens is the type of coach who runs – an efficient offense and make sure his players are all about team ball. And I wasn't sure how he was going to fit into that. And he completely exceeded my expectations. Jalen Brown has took another step forward and you're right. You know, they lost Avery Bradley. They lost Jay Crowder. And I'm not going to lie. I was one of those people who was like, man, how are they going to replace these guys? Jalen Brown's a nice piece, but I don't know if he's going to be able to replace Avery Bradley defensively. And Jason Tatum looks like he's going to be a nice rookie, but Jay Crowder is a pro. And even though I think Jay Crowder does have his, faults and deficiencies i mean he's a veteran you know jason tatum's a rookie and those two combined are so much better than what they had last year in bradley and crowder so there's a lot of context involved as well with you know why the celtics team is doing better or just as good with Kyrie. because honestly if they had Kyrie, man if they had Kyrie this series i'd be picking the celtics in six i think i would be i would also and yeah i agree and and to add to that last year they were playing amir johnson a lot this year they're playing marcus, yeah. they're playing marcus morris and, yes. and off the bat yes. which is huge people don't really appreciate how much how big of a pickup that was because he can play the one i'm sorry no he can play the three or the four but defensively they can switch everything now because of him right they can switch everything if they want to yes so that's one but then also low-key baines is better than any bench big they had last year also so and, and baines is i know we're hitting the three which i didn't know he had that so so i think that they have those things but i think to your point when you talk about context is Let's really let's really pull back. The Cavs got to the conference finals, right? Without Kyrie. Yes. You beat the Pacers, right? Who on paper everybody had them as a bottom three team in the NBA this year. I don't care if Kyrie is healthy or hurt or whatever. The Cavs should have beaten the Pacers. And it shouldn't have gone yes. seven. Nobody would have expected that, you know, at all. So that's one. And the piece they played very good as a team, but I know what Boyan Bogdanovich is and was, and he's a good, fine player. I We know what Corey Joseph is and was. We know what Darren Collison is and was. Miles Turner hasn't taken the leap that he he's going to need to take, which is a completely different topic. Sabonis, right. Sabonis was very good, too. Thaddeus Young, we know what he is. We know what he's been since the 76ers. So this is not a team that I'm shocked that the Cavs beat without Kyrie. The Raptors... Once again, that the, how I got to that tangent is I just never believed in them. I just never believed in it, period, no matter what. Like, I just never believed in them. 
and maybe that's my fault, but I'm, I'm proven right <laughs> with what happened. No, I didn't either. I had no faith in them whatsoever. Yeah, nobody did. And people weren't shocked. People yeah. were disappointed when they lost. So, so the Cavs, so word. the Cavs getting to the conference finals. Yeah. It's easy for people that aren't like us that are going that don't really want to dissect and love the context to just like, Oh, it doesn't matter. He got to the conference finals, right. Without looking at the story behind it. But then when you actually look at it, you're like, yeah, I'm not surprised when you look at it. Right. And, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. No, Go ahead. And then, and then you look at the the Celtics. The Celtics, I am surprised, right? But but what what Kyrie brings is people say, oh, they're better, or whatever. It's in the playoffs. You can do a lot of things with a system, but if with a Kyrie, when you play a team that's like put together, that has the veterans, like we saw, Ben Simmons had a lot more flaws in his game than we thought, and that's really what it came down to in that series. But at the end of the day, against the Cavs. They're going to need somebody, and something that I didn't see from the Celtics is I would have wanted to see a Jalen Brown or a Jason Tatum go off for 30 points in like two games. Because then I would have known, right. I would know that, listen, when the defense crunches down and everybody knows what everybody's doing, you're, you can score regardless. And you need that. And that's what Kyrie would have given them, and that they don't have. Exactly. I agree. I think Jason Tatum will eventually be that, but they don't have that right now. And one person who I didn't even mention when going on my little rant was Terry Rozier. I mean, he's basically Isaiah Thomas. He's exactly what Isaiah Thomas was last year. So you didn't even – theoretically, you didn't even lose Isaiah Thomas. You didn't. Defensively, he's better. Yeah, exactly. So if anything, you gained something. I think you got better at every position. At every position. And and Al Horford is playing, for me – I think Al Horford is playing better now than he even played on the Hawks. Yeah, I agree. His confidence is different. It's 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 just a completely different squad than last year, and I think it's crazy for people to kind of just be like, oh, they, this is an indictment on Kyrie. It, it, it's that lazy narrative that runs sports media that drives me crazy sometimes. But um, so I we've been pretty deep into this series. I'm going to ask you who you got winning in how many games. So, so it's interesting because. There's the there's the LeBron hater in me that wants to give the Celtics a shot, <laughs> but LeBron is but but then there's the basketball analyst that realizes LeBron's greatness. I, I have to go Cavs in Cavs in five. Oh, um, yeah, with with what I think would be three close games and uh, two blowouts type of deal. Okay. Um, I think that when when I look at the the Cavs are a different team than the against the Raptors than they were against the Pacers. I do think when you look at the Pacer series, in theory, if we were just going to go with a super basic thought process, if there was any hope for Celtics fans to say, hey, well, listen, I'll take Terry Rozier over Darren Collison. Victor Oladipo is definitely better than the Jalen Brown, but I don't think he's that far ahead of a Jalen Brown. I think he's ahead, definitely, but he's not like that far ahead, per se. Jason Tatum is better than Boyan Bogdanovich. Marcus Morris is better than Thaddeus Young. And Al Horford is miles ahead of Miles Turner. No pun intended. And then you say Marcus Smart is Marcus Smart is basically Corey Joseph and Lance Stevenson combined. So in theory, the the Celtics are the the and, and the same thing when you say, hey, I'll take Al Horford over Valanciunas. I'll take I'll take Morris over. Um, over Serge Ibaka, I'll take uh, Jason Tatum over um, 
OG Ananobi. I'll, you know, the way DeRozan played, Jalen Brown is not going to play as bad as DeRozan played that series. Right. And to be honest, I've never liked playoff Kyle Lowry. So I'm biased. I just think that I, I would rather have playoff Terry Rozier than playoff Kyle Lowry. So, so I think in theory, even without Kyrie and Hayward, the Celtics surprisingly are still the most talented team, at least in the East, that the the Cavs are going to play, which says more about the East, in my opinion, than anything. But even with all of that logic, that hope that I have that the Celtics can do the impossible, I just cannot imagine a team that doesn't have a game breaker that can control and dictate the pace and get buckets whenever he wants, pushing a LeBron James, a monster LeBron James to beyond five games. It's hard to imagine that. Okay. I, I have the uh, Cavaliers in six. Uh, so kind of a similar thinking as you. I think there's going to be a couple blowouts here and there, but I do think that they're going to contain the role players of the Cavs a little better than the Raptors did. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm with you. I don't think they have enough talent. They don't have that game breaker who's going to put you over the top and win a series. The interesting thing about the Celtics, though, is that even though they don't have that game breaker, they do have players who, like, from game to game step up. Like, it might be a Terry Rozier game, and the next game might be a Jalen Brown game, and the next game might be a Jason Tatum game. So they do have that going for them. But then at the same time, like you have LeBron on the other side, who's better than whoever you're going to, you know what I mean? Who's better than everyone you're going to be going against at that time. And then also LeBron defensively, listen, he didn't play much defense during the regular season, but I still, you know, if Jason Tatum's going off, stick LeBron on him. You know what I mean? I, I think that's the thing about LeBron that is not talked about as much as it used to be, but he can shut down anybody defensively still. I still have confidence that he can do that. So I think if Rozier's going, even Rozier, I mean, Little old Rosier, if he's going off, you can stick LeBron on him, which I don't think they do, but I'm just saying theoretically. So, well, I, I think it's that, so, sorry, yeah, short, but to add to that, I think something that I really want to see is that the Cavs come playoffs have employed this blitz strategy of trapping you. When you send the screen, we're going to trap you. And what we're expecting is that your point guard is not going to be able to make the pass on time. And if he does make the pass at all and not turn it over, it's going to be mistimed and we can get our hands on it. And if he does make the pass and it gets there, then the person that it gets to is not going to know what to do with the ball next. So that's something that they've employed and and they've allowed LeBron to basically play free safety because when the pass doesn't get to a place on time or quickly, he can go and disrupt it and then put pressure on people. So I think Brad Stevens is expecting that. So I think that defensively, Brad Stevens sees what the Cavs do. The Cavs have employed this high risk defensive strategy for the last few years and they have not gotten burned by it outside of against the Warriors. We'll see how Brad Stevens goes up against that. And I think that's something that's really interesting when you talk about the Cavs defense, which we didn't really talk about much. All right, interesting. All right, so let's move on to the next series, Warriors and Rockets. Now, I'm of the belief that this is the real NBA Finals and one of those people because <laughs> I don't think anyone... <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone in the East has a chance. I mean, I love LeBron, but I, I can't see anybody beating the Warriors four or seven times. I kind of just gave away my pick there. But what do you think about this series? Are you as high on the Rockets as I, I know I'm comparing us to the media, but that's, you know, they set the narrative. So, you know, a lot of people, I wouldn't say a lot anymore, but during the regular season, you had your fair share of people who were like, I think the Rockets can do it, man. This is the year the Rockets can do it. And I'm looking right now at ESPN's website, and out of the 22 people who actually 
made picks. They're experts. Only three of them took the Rockets. So it was almost like your theory with the the Cavs and Raptors. Like if you were to give a million dollars, like you know, who would you really pick? And I think people kind of came to their senses and took the Warriors. But where are you on the Rockets? Do you think they could actually win this series? I don't think they can win the series. Um, period. Um, and and uh, I think I think that this is a five maybe six game really good games though type of series. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, th- you know, there are some things that we'll we'll talk about, you know, from a strategic standpoint, and the because it's not just simply saying, oh, they can't win, but it's like, okay, well, if in in a world that they do win, how would that look, right? So, um, <laughs> you know, let's imagine. Right. So, so, but I, I, the theory I have is pretty simple. It's you can't beat the Warriors at their own game. The only team I, in, the, yes. in, in in the West, the only team that I can imagine, right, beating the Warriors in a seven game series would be i know this is radical would be a pelicans with demarcus cousins you are the second guest i've had who said that that's crazy that's that's the only (laughs) team because that's the only team like for every you need an equal yet opposite force and and the Pelicans with Cousins and with Davis would be like, hey, you're going to go with that death lineup? You, you want Kevin Durant guarding Anthony Davis all series? You you think that Draymond Green is going to body up DeMarcus Cousins? Yeah. Like they, and, and you have a Rondo. They would be able to control the pace at such an insane rate and really probably rack up a lot of fouls. That's how I think you have to do it. And the reason that LeBron... And I say LeBron, and I, not to disrespect because low-key, like, Kevin Love is so much better than anybody gives credit for. People forget, but that's a different story. But, like, LeBron, what he can do is he's so brilliant. He's so smart. And he's so talented. And really his game is he's finally getting some go-to moves, which is scary. He can control the pace, and he never rushes. You cannot get him to rush. And if you try to get him to rush and gamble, he's going to make you pay. So LeBron by himself is an entity that can slow down the pace and dictate the pace. The Rockets, so getting back to the Rockets, how are you going to beat the the Warriors by playing an up-tempo three-point shooting style? It just seems like you're in a gunfight, and they have more bullets than you. Now, what do you say to those people who are like, well, the Rockets had technically, by analytics standpoint, the most efficient offense of all time. If anyone can do it, it's them. I think analytics so, – so I'm one of the people that uh, – it, it bothers me. I think, I think the fantasy sports culture and the NBA 2K culture has ruined really good NBA analysis because people okay. – people, I think analytics are good to support information and support um, you know, watching the games – but I, I don't think they're good for really, you know, like from an analytics perspective, analytics had the Raptors beating the Cavs, but we all knew that that wasn't going to happen, right? So I think that the people that I would speak to there is just saying, hey, they had a very efficient offense, you know, in the regular season. Um, but at the end of the day, in the playoffs, in the regular season, you're playing against a different team every night. Right, you're you're. It's not the going against the same team over and over again. That's planning and game planning specifically to stop what you do, right? So, so I think having that level of diversity is, is important. I would love to see the Rockets. Nothing would make me happier as a basketball fan than to see the Rockets versus the Celtics in the finals. But I just don't see how the Rockets would be able to sustain that against the defense, the level of the Warriors. 
that have an offense at that level as well. Like, I just don't see it now. But I think the more important conversation is not just the fact that we both have the Warriors, because I think that's that's kind of boring. You know, I think the better conversation is like, in what world, what would have to happen for the Rockets to win? <laughs> I think that's a better discussion. They would have to hit a shit ton of threes. I mean, a lot of threes. Steph would have to be at 80%, 70%. Um, I think Clay would have to have a bad series. Harden would have to be MVP Harden and not this playoff Harden we've been seeing because I don't really buy into those type of narratives. But at this point, it's kind of like, you know, what the hell's going on with James Harden a little bit? He's had CP3 to bail him out, you know, last round. But it's like, okay, what what are you? Is this something with you? Is there a mental block with you in the playoffs? Because you are showing that maybe you're not the same player in the playoffs, but he would need to be MVP Harden. Chris Paul would have to be Chris Paul. I think PJ Tucker would have to disrupt a rant because that's who I assume they're going to put on him. You know enough to where he has an average series. There's a lot that has to happen. Yeah, for me I agree. I think last year, and no lie, and, and this is not something I say lightly. Um, last year against the the Spurs, it was the first time I ever said this. I honestly thought that James Harden threw the game. He looked. I, I've never what? said that. I've never said that. Oh. It, it the first thing I thought of when I was watching that last game against the the Spurs because there there's a difference between playing bad. Like we watched Victor Oladipo have bad games, but he still looked present. Right. It, in that game six, I was watching it and I was like, all I thought was blue chips. <laughs> you know, I was like, <laughs> what's wrong with him? People are like, oh, everybody has bad game. I'm like, if anybody who watched that, the dude looked. Like he was on drugs, or or he was yeah. not. He was trying to lose. So that's it was like a mental breakdown. It looked like a mental it breakdown. Was it was like something was. Yeah. It was weird. It was beyond. I've seen many bad games before. That was that was more than just a bad game, right? So that was one. I, you know, so I think that you're right. Like this playoff, we expect mm-hmm. playoff hearted to show up, and playoff hardened is not a good thing. So. No, not um, at all. Yeah, so there's that. I think um, I'm really interested in seeing how CP3 does because really what it comes down to, the, the teams that usually win are the teams that dictate the pace, right? Who the game is going in, in terms of they're controlling it. They're the ones that are like, I'm controlling the timing of what happens. So maybe Chris Paul has the ability to do that a little bit. Um, I think we'll see what happens with Clint Capella. I think people, a lot of people are talking about the Clint Capella Draymond Green matchup, where they're saying, "Hey, Clint Capella can do this and that and the third. Where you know we'll see if Clint Capella can really make an impact, or if you know if he's really as good as people are thinking. You know, I, I like Eric Gordon a lot, but if, if you're gonna, it, it's gonna be hard because defensively you're gonna have to lock up so much. What you're really gonna have to hope is that the Warriors continue shooting from three point line the way that they've been shooting. And and that you yeah. pretty much, in order to win, they need to be like the 2011 Mavericks. Like I remember the 2011 Mavericks w- were hitting three. It felt like they were hitting threes at such a high rate that everybody was like, oh, you can't keep that up. You can't keep that up. Oh, you're not going to win that way. Oh, you're going to miss it. And then it's like they never did. J.J. Barea, Pedro Stiak, it didn't matter who it was. They just were not missing. And it was just shocking because you don't expect that to be so sustainable. I think that that's the level of, for four games, the rap, the, the Rockets are just going to have to be like, whoa, I can't believe they sustained that. Here's the thing, though. I mean, in a seven-game series, 
they can have like an off game or two off games. You know what I mean? They'll probably lose those games. It's just that when they're hitting their threes, they have to win that game. Um, and if any offense can do it, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here. It is that Rockets offense. I mean, they've shown throughout the season. I know analytics, like you said, at best it's to support an argument, not to make one. But at the same time, they are the highest rated offense for a reason. It's not like they don't have players like Eric Gordon hit the three, James Harden when he gets going, CP3. So, I mean – but what you're saying, if there's a team to do it, I do think it's this Rockets team. I, I think, and people are going to think I'm really crazy. I think if, if there's a team to do it, I think it's the Cavs, which I don't think they'll do it. But I think I think it's the Cavs because, yeah. because of the LeBron factor. It's all about controlling pace, controlling tempo. I don't think that they have anybody that has the ability to control the pace of the game like that. God. Like CP3, though, I mean, I mean, he's a floor general. I think he's one of the top three point guards of all time, in, in my estimation, at least. Dribbles. You don't think he I, can I think, control I think the game? him controlling the game is yeah. over dribbling, right? So there's a difference between controlling the game and then it's like over dribbling. And, and I think that, well, and this is a different story, whether it's talking about Westbrook, not saying that these guys are the same, whether it's talking about Westbrook, whether it's talking about CP3, whether it's talking about like LeBron, you know, whether like John Wall, a lot of these guys that are really ball dominant, that quote unquote control the pace of the game, you start seeing that when they control the pace of the game, the people around them end up not looking as good. So, um, you know, so, so that's what I think is going to be hard. I mean, you know, and once again, yeah, they're the highest rated offense and yeah, they played well against the regular season, but it, it's completely different when every single game, you're not playing against the, the Brooklyn Nets of the world. You're not playing against the Chicago Bulls of the world. You're not playing against the Orlando Magic of the world. You're not playing against whoever it is of the world. And for seven games, you're playing against one of the best teams of all time. And they're preparing for you and only you. They're not, they're not coming off of a game when they face the Memphis Grizzlies and then tonight they're playing you. No, it's like last time they, last time they played you. And this time they're playing you. And the only thing that they're focused on is you and nobody else. So when we talk about those analytics, how do you, how, what is the measure? Like, how do you measure the difference in preparation when that's what you're going into? You know, so I don't know how much that means. I'm not saying it's meaningless. I'm just saying I don't know. It, yeah, I don't know if it makes up the difference because analytically, I'm sure the Warriors aren't far behind them. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, we're talking analytics, but at the same time, it's not like this Warriors team isn't incredible when they're clicking, at least. I mean, Steph's been injured. Um, they've had their problems this year, but peak Warriors is better than peak Rockets, even if peak Rockets is the best analytics team of all time. That, sounds, that sounds like a crazy statement to say. <laughs> <laughs> You're right but, I mean, they're that, and, and that, but also i mean that's why you know for, and this is a different discussion because you know for me that's why i'm not as as great as durant is like for me his i don't know if you've ever watched uh, rocky three um, no i'm not i i'm not a big movie buff at all okay so, yeah, i know uh, i know the rocky storyline is that the one with the russian no that, that's rocky four this is with uh mr oh. t uh, okay. And um, miss, basically, the premise was that, you know, Rocky, after he won his championship, he was dodging a good competition. Uh, so, uh, Clubber Lang, that's uh, Mr. T's character, he went and then he, he called Rocky, hey, you're, you're a paper champion. You're a paper champion. I think, I think uh, as great as uh, Kevin Durant is, like, for me, I just feel like he, he's, he's building a paper legacy. So, 20 years from now, you know, people will be like, oh, 
you know, the, the people, oh, well, he has three championships, you know, and, and they'll, they'll just minimize the argument to that. And then people like myself who are kind of like a basketball parents would be like, yeah, you know, like, well, he, he joined the team that beat him and they happen to be like an all-time great team without him. So, it, you know, with that said, when you really think about it, like how, how do you beat that team? And if they're healthy, how do you beat that team in seven games? I think you need, I think you need a guy that you need a guy like LeBron. I think you do too. And it's funny about that, the ramp point. I think, you know, when we have the who's the best player of all time discussion 10 to 15 years from now, I think Durant himself has diluted that argument that a lot of Jordan fans use when they argue for Jordan, which is six for six, six rings, doesn't have six rings. I think once Durant starts entering that discussion, LeBron's career is over, you know, the rings argument is going to be diluted strictly because of Kevin Durant. And maybe a little bit because of LeBron, because LeBron did join the Heat as well, but strictly because of Kevin Durant joining a 73-win team. Now it's like, well, what does a ring really mean? I think it's going to force people who don't really dive into basketball like we do, it's going to force them to dive into context. You know what I mean? And actually discuss, okay, why is this person better than that person without saying the rings argument? And it's not, I'm not taking a shot at Jordan fans, but I do think, you know, you can make a case for LeBron being better than Jordan. And of course, I think you can make a case for Jordan being better than LeBron, but it frustrates me when the rings is that argument. Tell me why someone's better. Don't just give me rings. Tell me why Jordan was better. Tell me why LeBron was better. Because LeBron, I mean, let's just say hypothetically, Steph Curry gets kidnapped. Kevin Durant forgets to set his alarm for four straight games and they win the you know, they win the championship. LeBron has four rings. He goes to Philadelphia, joins them. They win like four rings. Now he has eight rings. It's it's like, are you going to say those eight rings over like are better than what Jordan did just because he joined teams and you know bounced back back and forth? Like that's kind of a ludicrous argument to make. So I completely you know, agree. I, yeah, <laughs> even as a even as a even as a Bulls fan as a Jordan fan, I never use the six and zero argument. I never use the six and zero yeah. argument. I, I have I have an extremely in depth argument for Jordan that does not include saying 6-0. Give me the argument. I want to hear it. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, well, <laughs> first thing is like understanding like the whole entire history. So it's really breaking down the argument. So the, the first thing is understanding like are we counting the Wizards or are we not counting the Wizards? We are not counting the Wizards. No Jordan. Okay, so, so if, if you're not counting the Wizards, then that means that Michael Jordan played 11 full years in the NBA. 11 okay. full years in the NBA, right? Because yes. in uh, his second year, he broke his leg. The only reason he came back was because they, they want to tank. He refused because that's who he is, right? So his second year, he, um, he, he didn't play the full year. And then we know that he retired for two years. So basically, he played from 1984 to 1998. And he, he essentially missed three full seasons. In 11 okay. years, in 11 years, you have nine defensive first, first team defensive teams, right? Um, first team all defensive uh, award in, in uh, 11 years, nine you have 10 scoring titles in 11 years. You have six MVPs in 11 years. You have six championships in 11 years. So it's not six for six. It's six in 11. That's over 50% of the time. When you play the full season, you won a championship. Um, okay. And you were always the Fonz MVP. Um, you, you have a defensive player of the year, which and in that year, he was the scoring champion and he was defensive player of the year. So, so you have this. In addition to that, the East was extremely strong at that time. You left an era of Hall of Famers ringless. That that says a lot. On LeBron's watch, KG won championship. Dirk Nowitzki won championship, and Dirk Nowitzki's team wasn't that great. And it, it's not like LeBron just lost these all-time greats, right? You know, in, in Cleveland, yeah, he lost the Celtics, but he also lost to Dwight Howard. 
and and Hito Turtle. Yeah. Um, you know, he lost to a. <laughs> that, that's just the truth of it. People people seem like it's the only team that beat him was the Celtics. No, no, he lost to Dwight Howard, Jameer Nelson, Hito Turkoglu, Courtney Lee, and Rashard Lewis. Like that, that, in five, in six. It was in six at the right, five. So, um, yeah, so so that that happened, right? Um, you know, the Durham Whiskey thing, it happened. So so when you really start looking at Jordan's career, and those are just some of the accomplishments. In 11 years, LeBron James is already on year 15. People keep on saying, oh, in his 15th year, he's doing this. Oh, he just passed Jordan. It's like, oh, how many more games did it take him to do that? How many? So when people make the argument on the these, oh, look at this accomplishment. Look at that accomplishment. Look at this, that. Look at that. It's like, how much longer do you have to do it? It's like saying that Emmett Smith is better than Barry Sanders because he's the all-time leading rusher. It's like, well, Barry Sanders retired early. and Everybody knew that, right? Or Jim Brown only played, yeah. what, 12 games? Like... The amount of context, and then then there's like you know even Skip Bayless finally made a good argument for once in his life about Jordan. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like Jordan never had like people say, oh well, Jordan had Jordan had Pippen. That that argument is another thing that bothers me because it's like, well, first off, Jordan got Pippen in his third full season. Like, so what did you expect? Jordan to win a win a title and beat the Celtics in one of his first two full seasons? Like, no, that, that wasn't ever gonna happen. Um, he got Pippen in his third full season, and it wasn't like he got Pippen who was already made, like Kyrie was pretty much an already made all-star, Wade was already made all-star, Bosch was already made all-star, Love was already made all-star. No, they lost together. They lost together for years before they actually came and won. So so these are the things. And then the people say, Oh, well, you know, he um Pippen got to the, you know, 155 games and he got to the Eastern Conference semis, not the finals. He got to the Eastern Conference semis. That's a false narrative. Um, well, Wade won a finals MVP without LeBron <laughs> he, in, in epic fashion. Right. Um, two years. Well, it was, but, but go ahead. Uh, with that, I would say, because to me, the biggest chink in Jordan's um, armor thing is because they, Jordan fans or advocates like you are, like it, they make such a big deal out of him winning the championship, right? That's pretty much their main point. And then it's like, okay, well, you take Jordan off of that team, they still win 55. And yes, they lost to seven in the Eastern Conference semis, but they still won seven against the eventual Eastern Conference champions who lost in the finals in seven games. I mean, you could make the argument that if they win that game seven, and a lot of people think they should have. Um, that they could have won the championship without Jordan. They didn't. Obviously, they didn't. But to me, that's to me that's kind of the biggest chink. It's like, all right, we take Jordan away from the team. The team is not as you know. They're almost as good with Jordan. You know. Well, the difference between fifty-five games and seventy-two games is insane. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, obviously, so, 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 so that so well, they, won they won fifty-eight the year before that. So you could only really compare, yeah, right? So, so, so you think yeah. about that, right? So that's one. Um, the other thing is too, like you know, people say, "Oh, well, look what happened when LeBron left the Heat. They didn't make the playoffs." Well, yeah, because Chris Bosh had um, blood clots, and, and and two years after, right. and two years after that, right, when they finally recovered from Chris Bosh having blood clots, you know where the Heat were in the Eastern Conference semis without Chris Bosh or LeBron. And they went to game seven. Right. And, that, and there, there is a very good argument that can be made that if Chris Bosh doesn't get blood clots, the Heat take out the Cavs. Ooh. The, nobody thinks about I don't it. Know. Nobody thinks about it. I'm not saying <laughs> what happened is too subjective, but when you actually think about, like, yeah. I know my Bulls, you know, my Bulls lost to that Cavs team, and my Bulls were not good. Like, I'm sorry, the Palace, all things yeah. were good. We took them to six. Um, you, you know, you, you keep Chris Bosh there who after, you know, LeBron left, he came back to being like a 20 and 10 guy. 
you know, yeah, he was back to being Chris Bosh. Like the Chris Bosh that signed with he Miami. Was like yeah, the third or fourth best player in the East, and they lost him, and they still went to the Eastern Conference semis. So when people talk about this, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that that's what makes Jordan better. I'm saying that that's what makes this whole entire oh Jordan had Pippen thing just stupid. I mean, you definitely put it. That, that's not what makes it better. I'm just take, taking when people say that Jordan had Pippen. It's like, well, let's really look at the context here. This Jordan had Pippen thing. And really the only thing that people say is Jordan had Pippen and LeBron has longevity. At the end of the day, that's all that's, – that's the long and short of the argument. Whereas I can list off a bunch of things that Jordan accomplished in 11 years. In 11 years! Just think about it. in 11 years, six championships. In 11 years, 10 scoring titles. If LeBron James right now three-peated, retired, and three-peated, they wouldn't care about anything else. Imagine that. Imagine right. if LeBron James in 11 years did what Jordan did. Do you think we would be having a conversation about who's the GOAT? Exactly. No, so, not at all. <laughs> so, And that's not even six for six. That's not even six for six. That's like if LeBron James in 11 years got 10 scoring titles, a defensive player of the year, nine defensive first teams, six MVPs, uh, you know, six finals MVPs, and that was while missing two years in his prime, there is not a single analyst in the entire universe that would say that LeBron James is not the GOAT. I agree with you. Uh, that's a, you made a very compelling Jordan argument, one that I actually never heard, and I'm surprised I never really heard it like that. No, you figure out of all these freaking debate shows, someone would come up with a with an argument that you just came up with, but no one really has. That's that's really interesting, man. My take is that, you know, I personally, I I grew up with Jordan just like you did. My thing is that I could only go by history and what is told to me because I did watch Jordan, but I mean, I watched Jordan as a ten year old, as eleven year old, as twelve year old, and you know, twelve year old Josh doesn't watch the game the same way as Josh did in his 20s, you know? So it's I would have to go back and objectively look at how Jordan played the game. Like, to me, when I say best basketball player of all time, I'm like, all right, I take kind of the Nick Wright position where it's who is the best player just to play the game of basketball? Hmm. You know, throw accomplishments away, throw everything away. If you're going to pick one person to say that man played basketball better than anyone who stepped on the court, for me, it's LeBron. And I say that, though, admitting that I haven't objectively watched Jordan throughout his career. All I know is highlights. All I know is his accomplishments. That is something that I'd probably would have to dedicate a weekend to well, and just watch Jordan finals and Jordan. You know what I mean? Well, let me like, ask you no, a question then. Yeah. So sorry to interrupt, but you know, I think that this is where the, the, there's a difference between more attributes don't make somebody better. No, I, I do agree with that. I mean, cause at the end of the day, like for instance, Russell I'm trying to versus Steph Curry. I take Steph in a heartbeat. Exactly, but Steph Curry, yeah. if you think about it, he's only truly phenomenal at one thing. No, but Russ, I think he's a better passer than Russ. Okay, Jason Kidd. I think he, Jason Kidd's he, he's one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, I Love take, Jason. I take, Steph, I take Steph Curry over Jason Kidd. So do I. I would too. But who, who in theory, is a better basketball player? I think Steph is. Why? You think they say people would say Jason Kidd? So here's my point, right? <laughs> like we're going through it now. Yeah. But what makes LeBron a better basketball player? It's like, oh, better pat. Jordan's only a better scorer. That's all he does better than LeBron. Well, no, that's not true. Right. Because Jordan's a better defender than LeBron. Jordan's Jordan just strictly he may not be as versatile, quote unquote, but even though he was like amazing defensively, like amazing, he could just survive on defense alone. But 
when you think about it, really what they're talking about is better basketball players, like, oh, points, rebounds. They're not going to talk about steals, which Jordan led. They're not going to talk about, like, as a shooting guard, he shot over 50% for his career as a shooting guard, right? Um, they're not going to talk about, like, that he's basically even with LeBron and blocks as a shooting guard and two inches shorter. You know, they're not going to talk about yeah. all these different things. They're going to say, oh, well, you know, rebounds, LeBron is better. Assists, rebound, LeBron is better. Shooting percentage, because I've watched Nick Wright's arguments. Okay, well, guess what? Like, Jason Kidd is a better rebounder than Steph. Jason Kidd is a better passer than Steph. Jason Kidd is a better defender than Steph. Right, you just can't go. Jason better is better all You can't just go down a checklist and be like, check, this person's better. Check, this person's better. There's more to it than simply just going down the checklist. And that's that's what I think that Nick people like Nick Wright do when they compare LeBron versus Jordan. It's like more attributes. Don't, like Steph Curry literally is only phenomenal at one thing. His ball handling is good. Yes. But he's so phenomenal at playing off the ball and hunting off of screens at three-point line that he is so dangerous that that blows out this like attributes argument. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's more like impact. It's like it doesn't matter how many attributes you check off. It's what the impact is with those attributes. Like J- Jordan's attributes to someone like you, the impact of that attributes, they outweigh the attributes of LeBron even though LeBron – has more attributes to check off. It's the impact. Yeah, because six to eight. If and keep in mind, Jordan yeah. Jordan averaged thirty two eight and eight in a time when you didn't yeah. have in a time when you didn't have as many long rebounds because of the amount of three point shooting. You know, like if, right. You know, like because people don't realize, like look at the amount of triple doubles that you're getting right now. You know, you have TJ McConnell had a triple double this year. He <laughs> <laughs> did. Gets my Knicks. So. <laughs> <laughs> gets triple doubles like the people are like, oh, this, yeah. they have games where it's like it, like random people get triple I'm like what's happening I'm like do you understand like if, you know with, with with all these long rebounds all these things so like when people talk about this it's like hey as a shooting guard Jordan was amazing you know pe- and then people talk about like you know the athleticism thing right and then this is the only time that I do bring up the Wizards against the Nets this is with Richard Jefferson this is with Kenyon Martin this is with Jason Kidd, Kerry Kittles. We know that team. We saw that team. We yeah, love that Nets. team. We love yeah, I like that team. Against yeah, that, like that team, team at age 40, Michael Jordan made Kenny Martin look like a, a fool. Watch the tape. You can YouTube it. This is not against the quote-unquote unathletic people. of the, the The other thing is the errors argument. There's a lot of crossover between the 90s and the 2000s that people don't appreciate. Jason Kidd played both errors. Yeah. So, so, so there are a lot of these arguments that when you really unpack them, they don't really sustain like deep objective analytics, right? So, and, and people, if Nick Wright uses this attributes argument, then I would say, okay, then that means that you would rather have Jason Kidd than Steph Curry. In my, that's right. which to me yeah. doesn't make sense. But some people, if some people said, "Yo, I'd rather have Jason Kidd," I'd be like, "Well, Jason Kidd is a freaking amazing player. I disagree with you." And if people said it's because he's a better all-around player, I would say, well, I don't think you're really appreciating the impact of one thing. So. Interesting. I like it, man. That's actually a really good argument. Um, unfortunately, we're running a little long right now, so we're going to have to get going. Official pick for the Warriors Rockets. I have the Warriors in six. What do you have? Uh, I want to say the war. I'll go safe. Warriors in six, but <laughs> that's a safe pick. <laughs> well, that, that's a safe that doesn't make you look stupid, right? Because like my heart is safe. Yeah. My heart is Warriors <laughs> in five, but um, but you know the safe pick, the smart pick is Warriors in six. All right, cool. Well, his name is Darnell Gillette. You can follow him on Twitter at Hoop Geeks, the creator of Hoop Geeks. He's like he said, he's written for Fan Sided 
about the Brooklyn Nets, right? Is that everything on fan-sided about the Nets that you've written? Yeah, yeah. I was writing for nothing but Nets for a while. Um, and then I took a little awesome. bit of a break to work on some other projects. So, yeah, man, I love I love hoops. I, as you can see, I can talk all day, whether it's talking about the history of the game, you know, talking about the president, talking about strategy. Um, you know, I love, I love talking about hoops much more than just, you know, what we see in the media today, which is, you know, Jordan versus LeBron every <laughs> single day. <laughs> I mean, it, listen, it, when you run everyday programming, you got to fill it up with something. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing with everyday television. So, Hoop Geeks, that's his Twitter, uh, hoopgeeks.com. You can follow the Dime at the Dime NBA on Twitter. Give the show five stars on iTunes. Please leave a comment or review saying how much you love the show. You can call into the Dime hotline, leave a question or comment to be aired on the show, 805 826 Three four six three. Kind of leave the questions general. I got very specific questions that I couldn't really air because the games were passed or something like that. So just leave them kind of general. I, I try to record a podcast every three or four days or so. So let's you know keep them general. Like who do you have winning the series or what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Not so much. What do you think LeBron's going to do tonight? Type of thing. Um, thanks for listening, Darnell. Awesome guest, man. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much, man. Looking forward to uh, being on again in the future. All right, man. Have a good one, guys.